Well, good morning. I'm Steve Coleman, and I'm really glad to have all of you with us. There tend to be two kinds of people in the world. Those who learn the do's and don'ts by listening to wise instruction first. And then there's the rest of us. We have to learn by falling flat on our face first. Israel was going to prove to be a people that did not easily learn. But there are some lessons in this text for us this morning. If we can just learn by listening, we will be much better off. You know, up to this point in Exodus, we've read about Israel in slavery in Egypt and God's destruction of Pharaoh and dismantling of Egypt. The recently released children of Israel arrived at Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at several chapters of the law from a range of topics, example cases, to assist in understanding what the law was about, what the character of God was about. Well, let's begin this morning with prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, meet together uh, through a virtual meeting, and we ask that you would open our hearts, that we would listen and learn from your word uh, what you have to say. Let that word sink deep in our hearts this morning. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 23. Israel was receiving the law from God, and they were getting ready for their eventual trip up into the promised land. At the end of this particular section that began with the Ten Commandments, God puts a final set of promises and warnings for them to place in the forefront of their minds. Now, there's a lot more of the law to come that'll be uh, detailed in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But for this section, uh, these are the closing words. Let's read starting in verse 20 of Exodus 23. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Sea of Reeds to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. 
Here in these last few verses, I wanted to make sure and give you some idea of the land God was talking about. In all of Old Testament history, Israel never completely had possession of or filled this area. Well, what was God trying to communicate to the children of Israel in this section? Well, let's break it down. He says in the beginning here that he's sending an angel ahead of Israel to guard them along the way, bring them to the place. And God says, it's a place I have prepared. He says, pay attention to the angel since my name is in him. Listen carefully to what he says and do all I say. Notice the divine properties of this angel. This angel has God's name in him. And when God talks about listening to and obeying, the angel, he talks in terms of both the angel and himself, uh, sort of as synonymous. That's kind of interesting to notice. Secondly, God prepared a place. That's the promised land, which was originally promised to Abraham. It goes all the way back to, the, to that promise to him. You know, taking trips is a great way to have a vacation. I grew up in a family that liked to travel to places without having a detailed plan beyond our ultimate destination. As a child, I remember hopping into our station wagon. We'd stop and sightsee where we wanted to, travel as long as we felt like it, and look for a motel vacancy when we were tired. We took, we took a lot of delightful trips that way. You know, a few years back, Julie and I decided to take a week to travel around and explore the state of New Hampshire. We pursued planning for this trip in a completely different way. In order to visit as many towns and places as possible, we decided we had to prepare a detailed plan, plotting the days and nailing down the reservations for every place we would stop for the night. The careful preparation paid off. We packed in an unbelievable set of experiences over a few days' time. You know, God's promise to prepare a place is more like the planning for our trip to New Hampshire. God has planned and set everything with a level of detail that you and I cannot even imagine. Does that wording seem familiar? Prepare a place? Uh, I read John 14 this week in a new light. Jesus talking to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. I think we all have viewed this passage as applying to us. And I've always looked at the promise to return as Jesus coming back in the rapture. But then I began thinking about it this week. This was a personal teaching from a rabbi to his followers. And these words and phrasing would have made a good Jew think about this great promise to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Jesus was saying he's preparing for each one of them a place, and he was gonna come back to bring them to the place he prepared. God is telling Israel here in Exodus that he has prepared the promised land for them. Second blessing, God will oppose their enemies. He says, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. Israel had nothing to fear with God at their side. You know, uh, this toddler has nothing to fear either. Uh, and 
illustrates the truism. Your ability to prevail increases with the size of your partner. If God is for us, who can be against us? The third blessing God includes here for Israel is for physical health and well-being. It's an interesting sentence here. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. That is an incredible set of benefits. Notice a couple of words in that next sentence. Uh, I will send my terror ahead of you. I will send my hornet ahead of you. You know, the word for hornet is uncertain. It's only used a couple of times and it's used in the identical way. Uh, Because of the way the sentences are, terror and hornet seem to be synonymous ideas. You know, if we look at Joshua 2, we can we can see what this means practically. As the spies visited Rahab and Jericho uh, prior to actually entering the land, uh, Rahab tells them this, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. So there's an example of the uh, terror that God was talking about. He had already worked at demoralizing the people in the land uh, as Israel was getting ready to enter it. The last big blessing that God emphasizes in this section uh, is a plan for long-term success. And he says it this way, I will not drive them out in a single year. Uh, Little by little, I will drive them out so that they could take possession of it uh, as they expanded, as they conquered, as they expanded as a nation. So we see all the blessings that God had promised to Israel, an angel to guard and guide them to the place that God prepared. God said he will oppose their enemies. He promised physical health and well-being and a plan for long-term success uh, to settle them in. Having looked at the blessings, now let's turn and look at a couple of commands and warnings for Israel. The first command is listen and obey. Do not rebel. Look at what he says when he's talking about them listening to the angel. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. So Israel was to have the attitude of listening. I'm supposed to listen and learn and get what I need to do from uh, listening to God. Beyond that, it's uh, not just be careful that you don't fail to listen. It's don't rebel against him. Uh, rebellion is a step further. It's a decision, a conscious decision to not listen, to not do what's being commanded. This is what Israel is uh, being commanded about here. The second warning or command, worship God, keep away from idols. In the text, he says, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. Worship the Lord your God. Worship is central to a life of faith. Humans were created to worship God. 
And Israel had the responsibility, not only of specific worship activities, but to have a way of life of worship, praising, adoring, and expressing reverence for God. A couple of examples of that are in Psalm 29 and Psalm 95. And worship, the mindset of worship, was critical from God's perspective to keep the people from being pulled away from God uh, through the worship of idols. This brings us to our third warning or command. Do not intermix with the people in the land. Where we find that in the text, do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land. And he says that the real danger is they will be ensnared in the worship of their gods. God is warning them that they are as defenseless as small game animals are uh, in avoiding traps and snares. If they get caught in one, they're completely helpless. In the same way, Israel will get snared by idol worship if they don't stay clear. I was reading recently an article in a travel magazine. And it was this guy that was traveling, hitchhiking around in Namibia. And he met up with a couple and they traveled together for a while. And he talks about they were hitchhiking in the northern part of Namibia. And he says, we were able to make it as far as a game lodge in Caprivi Strip. We arrived just before dark set in and we made arrangements with the game lodge to camp in the grassy area just beside the river. The view was breathtaking. He says, as we were finishing dinner, we were joined by two other couples who pitched their tents there too. The grassy area wasn't very large, so the tents were in a semicircle with maybe three feet of walking space in between. In the middle of the night, there was noise just outside the tent, large animal noise, and it was this animal was not alone. What we were hearing were the deep grunts, snorts, and loud breathing by numerous animals all around the tents. It dawned on me. We were surrounded by hippos. Hippos are a dangerous animal, very aggressive and unpredictable. The last thing you want to do is startle one, which naturally is precisely what happened next. An outboard motor started up somewhere upriver, and the hippo's fastest path back to the water was right through our tent's encampment. It all kind of happened at once. The motor, the sounds of distressed snorts and grunts, the shuffling of the large beast, the stamping of large feet, and the side of the tent suddenly bowing inward by several feet, brushing my face and then springing back. The couple and I jumped up out of our beds in the dark and we stood upright in the dead center of the tent, grabbing onto each other and trying to compress ourselves into as little space as we could. After the night was over, and we had apparently survived, when the sun rose, we were ready for an inspection of the damage of the previous night. Aside from a bit of mud that streaked the sides of the tent and a couple of places where rain flies had been dislodged, there was no actual damage. We were fortunate. We could have all been dead. We had learned our lesson about camping near the river in Africa. The title of the article, Don't Camp by the River, and that's just what God is saying here to Israel. Don't camp by the river. Don't be close to problems. He's highlighting the fact that for Israel, intermixing with the people of the land was going to be a big problem for them. 
Their culture was so different in their worship of God, being God's people and bound by his character and morals that they were a set-apart people. And this had to extend to the people and the religions in the land. Israel was in grave danger if they settled in the land but did not keep separate from the culture and worship of the surrounding peoples. To summarize these three commands and warnings, Israel was to listen and obey, not rebel from God's guidance and direction. They were to worship God, keep their focus on him, and avoid this intermixing with the people of the land, their culture, their worship of idols, so that their focus on God would remain and they would be that set-apart people for him. What does all this mean for us? You know, we don't have quite the same situation that Israel had. They had to maintain a physical separation between people because the people of God were collected in a geographical area. In the New Testament, the people of God, God's kingdom, God's church, is connected by one spirit. But geographically, we exist in many different places. So the separation God talks about when it comes to us is the separation in our minds and in our hearts to make sure that we are separate from influencing cultures around us, what we choose to worship. So I think there are two questions based on what God has here that we can ask ourselves and bring principles from this section into our lives. The first one is, am I ready to listen and obey? It's a question that we can ask ourselves uh, every day in the morning as we wake up. Are we consciously turned toward God, ready to listen? The second question is, are we ready to worship God, focus on God as a attitude and lifestyle uh, as we approach each day and go through the day? If we can answer yes to both of those questions, we are sitting ourselves, we've placed ourselves in a position where we are set apart in our hearts and we're in an attitude to be able to appreciate the blessings that God has for us. God had a lot of blessings for the children of Israel. He laid out these commands and warnings so that they would keep themselves in a position to enjoy those blessings. This little section of scripture sounds a lot like that coach's pep talk in the locker room to his team before they run out onto the field. It lays out the strong blessings, all the wonderful things that God has. He's prepared the land. He's going to give them physical health. He's going to be with them. And, uh, and at the same time, the commands that they should keep in mind, that they should pursue, and uh, so that they can place themselves in a position to enjoy those blessings. For us, it's the same principle. To be focused on God is to be walking by faith. And as we do that, we can appreciate so much better the blessings that God has for us. Let's close in prayer. 
God, thank you so much for the wonderful blessings that you have for us. And we know that those blessings come by way of our relationship to you. Lord, we want you. You are our satisfaction. You're the one that we worship. You're the one that we want. You're the one that we want to keep pursuing. Help us as we go through this week every day to have an attitude of listening obedience and worship. Thank you in your son's name, amen.